Is there something that people struggle across, you know, all genders or ethnicities, all ages? A typical problem that people present is like, why do I keep on dating the same type of person over and over again? Why do I excellent keep question? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the answer is? We tend to lean some, towards something that feels comfortable, and because you are used to a certain style or you're used to a certain type of behavior when you grow up, you try to find a partner that's going to mimic that relationship you saw growing up. Am yeah. I close? <laughs> that's very close. Yeah. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. I have such a gem of an episode today because I interviewed one of my favorite TikTok therapists. He's not a TikTok therapist. He's a therapist in real life, but he's sharing all of his wisdom on TikTok and Instagram, and he goes by Therapy Jeff. I can't even tell you how many minutes or hours I spent on his account. And recently, I recreated one of his videos in a relationship I will never again settle for. Mixed messages, abusive behavior, gaslighting. I'm pumped to have Jeff on the podcast. He is a wealth of knowledge. And we covered a lot of topics What you guys usually ask me on my mobile cocoa dues. A lot of friendship conversations. We talked about cheating. We talked about what to do when you get out of that honeymoon phase and how to you know break up with your friends. Before we get into it, I will read one of the reviews that I got on my podcast that made me super happy. It came from username Bombshell, Bombshell22. An absolute must. Coco is out there doing the most for her followers with these incredible podcasts with the best guests and tapping into every area of life with the most game-changing advice. Wow. I cannot stop listening. They're so good. Do yourself a favor and listen to each one and make sure to have a notepad for all the sauce that's dropped. <laughs> Thank you, Coco. Leveling up hard because of you. Oh, I love that. I love when you guys leave me these reviews and you tell me what do you love about the show. And the more reviews, the more follows we get, the more the show can grow and I can keep on bringing these amazing guests that can literally give you life-changing advice. So please do me that favor. Click that subscribe and follow wherever you're listening to your podcast. I'm also dropping YouTube episodes for those who love the video format and also on Spotify. You can watch it. You can watch it. My creation is coming through. You can watch it um, on YouTube. Okay. Without further ado, let's tune into the episode. Jeff, welcome to Bougie Best Friend Podcast. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here and it's nice to meet you. I was just telling you offline how it's crazy to sometimes connect with people that you've been following on social media for so long. And even when I was writing every all of my notes about you, I was always writing your handle, which is Therapy Jeff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what people call me now, Therapy Jeff. I've just accepted it. There's nothing I can do about it. Totally fine. Well, Therapy Jeff, uh, please tell me <laughs> Your background, where did you grow up? Where are you from? A little bit of, you know, the basics. Yeah, like I told you a little bit before we started recording, I was born in Miami, but I actually grew up in Santa Monica, California, in Los Angeles. Um, I eventually went to school for child development. I was going to be a preschool teacher. I did that for like one year and then decided to go to grad school to get a degree in marriage and family therapy. I got my degree in LA at USC and right when I graduated, maybe two weeks later, I moved up to Portland, Oregon, because a psychic told me that I was going to live in the Pacific Northwest. And I was like, I guess you're right. <laughs> and I didn't know anyone in Portland. It seemed like a pretty cool place to go. So I landed in Portland in 2005. I started my private practice. 
around then. I mostly have been specializing in uh, treating clients that are suffering from um, like an anxious attachment style or codependency, just people that feel anxious in relationships. I mm-hmm. also do couples counseling, but I typically only do couples counseling or relationship therapy for people that are in like pretty new relationships where they still love each other and there's like fun fights and it's not Mm -hmm. like they haven't had sex for five years or haven't had a real conversation in 10 years or they actually like need to get a divorce like I don't want that energy in my office (laughs) go talk to a different therapist wow I mean even some when you just said like like how can people even be married for so long and not have sex I just don't understand that but I wanted to ask you first what what attracted you to this field uh, well, I mean, I grew up with a mom who's also a marriage and family therapist. Mm-hmm. So that was definitely something that influenced me. But I also just like love listening to people's stories. And I started to go to therapy when I was a teenager. And there's something like so sweet and special and vulnerable when you're just like being really transparent about what you're going through and what you're struggling with. So it feels like this extra special gift that like a client gives you when they like tell you everything that's going on. It's always just been something that I've been fascinated with. And I, when I first started out being a therapist, I don't think I was that great. I was a really good listener, mm-hmm. but I wasn't like a fantastic therapist. So it's taken me a while to figure out like what my, what theories or interventions or what my style is and how to connect with people. What would you call your style now, your therapy style? Yeah, I don't even know. It's just sort of like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just sort of like a Jeff style, I guess. And I think that's mm-hmm. what like a lot of therapists after like 15 or 20 or 25 years of doing counseling, eventually they like come up with their own style. But at first it was, it was like psychoanalytic, which meant that I was like, talking to you about what your childhood and past was, what your traumas were or childhood wounds and how they've affected like your personality and how you've grown up. And if you're like repeating any of those childhood wounds or relationship traumas in your current relationship. So it's kind of nice to just kind of connect what happened in the past to what's going on in the future and how to move forward in a healthy sort of deliberate way instead of like unconsciously repeating old patterns And then I also use a client-centered approach is what it's called, which is just sort of like me being incredibly empathetic to the experience that you're having. And just going to talk to a therapist and them really understanding how you're feeling is incredibly healing. Mm -hmm. I also like employ some narrative therapy where I look at the stories that you're telling yourself and why you're telling yourself those stories, just sort of the the mantras that you've created in your head or the repetitive thoughts that you're having. And then you and I together try to change those narratives into something that serves you better or is healthier or more positive, if that's what you're looking for. Of course, there's like CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, which I use a little bit just to kind of like be like, you're doing this thought, which is causing this behavior. Mm -hmm. And how can we like create a different behavior to create different thoughts and to create different Mm -hmm. outcomes? It's tricky though. That one's CBT is getting kind of like a bad rap, understandably, just because right now a lot of us are living in this like world or in this system that's very upsetting and crazy making. Mm -hmm. So to like change your thoughts to feel better might be kind of okay in the moment, but then you go back into like this very overwhelming sort of traumatic post-pandemic life and you get triggered all over again. But again, it's just some sort of like Jeff style. There's something like incredibly healing about just sitting with a therapist and me being like this grounded source that never goes away, always really cares about you and is rooting for you. That's healing within itself. 
I'm getting emotional. Aww. Okay, I have a question when it comes to therapy for somebody who maybe never had a chance to speak to a therapist. How much do you just listen or how much you actually give them advice or tell them what to do? Because yeah. sometimes we see those movies when it's like, oh, a therapist is just sitting there. How does that make you feel? Well, this is a good question because if you feel like you're talking to a therapist that just sits back and doesn't speak up enough, like you want to maybe be challenged or confronted or you want your therapist to give you more feedback or something, you should tell your your therapist that that's what you want. Mm -hmm. So I can be really laid back if it seems like that's what's going to serve you best. Or I can be like very confrontational and challenging you. You're you're paying me to challenge you. You're paying me to like get you to think differently and to be more healthy. So I'm probably going to speak up maybe a little bit more than the average therapist. But you can influence your therapist. And if but if you have a therapist that really just sort of like asks those cliche questions of how does that make you feel mm -hmm. and they don't have anything else to give you, then maybe it's not a good match for you. When mm -hmm. it comes to dating and people who come to you with relationship issues, can you pinpoint maybe like an overall frequently asked questions? Like, is there something that people struggle across, you know, all genders or ethnicities, all ages? A typical problem that people present is like, why do I keep on dating the same type of person? over and over again. Why do I Excellent keep Excellent question. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think the answer is? Do you have any idea? I do. Okay. We tend to lean some towards something that feels comfortable. And because you are used to a certain style or you're used to a certain type of behavior, or maybe if, okay, let's say if you're growing up in a toxic family or something, that's what you learn. And that's what you think is a normal type of relationship. And then when you grow up, you try to find a partner that's going to mimic that relationship you saw growing up. Am yes. I close? <laughs> that's very close. Yeah, that's typically wow. <laughs> the answer, I think, is that like you learn about what love and intimacy is when you're a kid. You don't know that like what you're learning might be actually problematic or unhealthy, but then you seek out relationships unconsciously and consciously that's going to mimic those same like experiences you had when you first fell in love with someone. And the first people we fall in love with are typically our parents or caregivers, mm -hmm. you know, like you're supposed to be, you know, like have love, feel love, be in love with your parents, obviously not in a romantic way, but in like a mm -hmm. familial, close, intimate kind of way. And then when we go out there and we start dating, those are the people that we typically attract or magnetize. And we're also like very influenced by our siblings. If we have siblings or like close peer relationships or friendships, um, the first like ones that we make as we're growing up as kids that like sets this blueprint. And then we keep on like dating the same person over and over again. And even though there's like a conscious part of us that doesn't want to like keep on experiencing that unhealthy or problematic dating pattern or relationship dynamic. We're just sort of magnetized to it. So you have to like make this shift and be like really deliberate about what do I want in a partner, make those lists, whatever, the deal breakers, the non-negotiables, the things you need, and then start trying to intentionally find those people. And typically when we start dating somebody who maybe could be a better match for us, it feels really funky and awkward mm -hmm. and maybe too vulnerable or unbelievable. And we sabotage it and we go back to what was familiar, which is like the stuff that isn't actually working for us. I also think that sometimes people come into your life to teach you a lesson. And if you keep on dating the same type of person, you just didn't learn your lesson. When you are dating the same type of person who's like constantly treating you like option number two, you're kind of okay being treated like option number two. There's something deep inside of you that needs to 
heal, I would say. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about friendships. When we're growing up, we have this friend group and we are very we're identifying ourselves with them. And then as we grow older, we kind of start developing new interests and we travel and we learn something new. And then sometimes we outgrow our friends, but we are not really ready to let them go. I made four really incredibly close friends in first grade. And those were my childhood friends for my entire childhood all the way through college. And it was really special and very sweet. And those were... I don't know, some of the most special, amazing like relationships I've ever had. However, all of us came from sort of, I don't know, what you might call like broken homes. We were all we all felt sort of ignored, um, not seen, not chosen by our parents, but we chose each other. And so that's beautiful. It was really <laughs> beautiful and it was a really healing sweet connecting relationship that never that like eventually like didn't allow us to grow any further and there was some sort of like almost trauma ba- trauma bond of us like being together and being like it's us against the world we choose each other and we can't trust authorities and we're going to mm-hmm. have to like carve our own path and while that's like very empowering it also like doesn't allow for any of us to kind of like break out of the mold because if one of us started to change, then we're like, you're abandoning us. Yeah. Right. Like, why are you being different? Who are you? Why are you giving so much attention to this girlfriend you're dating? Like, you're such an asshole. Right. So then we would like shame our like friends back into the group (laughs) because and so there was this sort of like. I mean, it was just because we felt abandoned and were sad, maybe that like somebody was making friends with a different group or starting to date somebody that was taking up their attention. But it kept on like bringing us back to this baseline that maybe was healing when we were a lot younger, but stunted our growth to go to the next level. We probably should have stopped being friends or changed friends around high school. But Mm -hmm. we were so bonded to each other that that was, we didn't even think about doing that. So when I decided to break free, I was like the first friend to break free and move out of Los Angeles. And my friends were so betrayed and so upset and so mad. Uh, We never like explicitly agreed that we'd all stay in the same town and live our lives close to each other. But that was what was expected. And when I left, they sort of like, you know, they stopped talking to me um, and I felt really hurt. And but it was I could have predicted that that was going to happen. It felt like me and everybody else needed to eventually kind of like do their own thing. Eventually, the whole group like went to different parts of the country and we all Mm -hmm. did something different. And we're still in contact today and we still like honor how lovely that relationship was. But we can see how we've changed and grown in ways that like are actually a lot more in alignment with who we really are that we wouldn't have been able to do in that original friend group. You know what I mean? I find something very interesting that I think that men have stronger bonds in a group. I don't know if this is true or not, but that's just Mm -hmm. my experience. And I was just, uh, this morning, I was talking to a friend of mine. She was telling me how she also doesn't have that many female friends. Like you have a friend here, you have a friend from school, you have a friend from college, you have, I mean, you have friends Mm -hmm. like all over, but guys are kind of more like a group. Like even my boyfriend, he has his friends from college and they, you know, they're on the phone all the time. Their Mm -hmm. goal is to all live in the same city, literally like you were saying. Mm -hmm. I never, that never even crossed my mind. And then at some point I'm like, do I just think that friendships are not as strong because I never had some, a group like that? Or is it something about women that they 
sometimes look at each other as competition even, or it's just, I just find that very interesting that guys, you know, that uh, bro code, like bros <laughs> over hoes, like they, they really mm-hmm. stick to that some, sometimes. There is something that goes on there. There's something to that, I think. And it's funny because I don't think that boys or men really talk about it all that much. It's all kind of like happening under the surface sometimes. And sometimes it comes out in these sort of like, like with my group of friends where we would like tease each other or make each other feel bad if one of us like felt kind of abandoned or something. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice if they said like, I'm feeling sad because I feel disconnected with you. There's no way we would have ever said that. We didn't have the Mm -hmm. language or we would have been like ridiculed by our friends for saying something that vulnerable. I grew up in the 80s and 90s, so Mm -hmm. that wouldn't have really flown. There's probably some competition there, but not as much competition between each other because I think like culturally, societally, we set up women to compete with each other Mm -hmm. in how they look or how they talk or whatever it is that's not the same for boys that's i mean this is like these are general statements there's an exception to the rule of course and it was just very interesting for me to hear her talk to me about this because i thought maybe i'm the only one because i grew up in croatia i moved cities then i moved to the u.s alone like i was always very independent Mm -hmm. and i didn't even gave myself kind of the opportunity to build that close. I mean, obviously I have close friends, but it's not like the four of us are going to go on a girl's trip or something like right. that. I've never <laughs> been a bridesmaid. And then I, and I was just talking to my friend about this. We're like, is is it something about us? Like, are we doing something wrong or is it just a different culture? I don't know. It's just interesting to see that usually guys are more, they kind of stay together more. I do think that it's problematic when if eventually like something happens where like they can't stay together, somebody moves away or they get married mm-hmm. and or whatever it is, that it's like it might be hard for guys when they're older to make new friendships. Mm-hmm. I think that's like that is a prob- thousand percent true. Yeah. <laughs> in my life, at least in my experience for men. Yeah. I'm not sure if if men if boys and men are like taught to have the social skills to really like go and make new friendships as they become older. And I know that even like I've made friends as an older, like as an adult and mm-hmm. it feels awkward and it's weird. Yeah. And I have to kind of like <laughs> challenge myself to step into that like uncomfortable experience. Why do you think it's so difficult to make friends as we get older? I think it's just more natural to to make friends. There's like more opportunity when we're younger because we're in school around people our same age that probably have similar values or life experiences or hobbies or interests. And also like I think that our families most likely are encouraging us to go make mm-hmm. friends. They're like setting up play dates, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's somebody that's trying to make it so that you create a friend group. And then as we grow older, we start to think or believe that like we're we're kind of awkward or weird or we don't have good social skills or we start to experience social anxiety. And we're also, especially now because of the pandemic and people working mm-hmm. from home, like we're not out there actually meeting people as much as we we are used to meeting people. So it's just kind of like maybe not as much of a priority. You might also start feeling kind of ashamed that like you're not good, uh, quote unquote, good at making friends or meeting new people. And it can kind of become like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Women have this tendency of like connecting to each other, maybe on Instagram. I mean, I'm in the social media world, so I connect Mm -hmm. with people all day, every day. And for women, it's easier to just, you know, slide into another girl's DMs like, oh, my God, I love your style. I love, you know, Mm -hmm. I love your vibe. Would love to grab coffee. I met 
all of my friends in Miami pretty much through Instagram. But my boyfriend, who also like he moved from New York to Miami, he has his, you know, core friends and that's it. He has no, I mean, not no interest. Obviously, we gain like new couple friends or something, but it's not like he's going to go out there and try to find new friends. So that I just find it so interesting that girls, they're going to reach out to a new girlfriend to kind of hang out or go on on a wine date or something. Mm -hmm. But what I also noticed that people sometimes, you know, you love somebody, you meet somebody, let's say at an event, and you're like, oh my God, we should get together. And then that never happens. Mm -hmm. Why? I think it's easy to say we should get together, but harder to actually do the behavior that gets Mm -hmm. you together because there's a fear of rejection. It's also like backing up a just a step when you're saying that like some women like slide into each other's DMs or like, hey, what's up? I love what you're mm-hmm. doing or like, let's hang out. I've been, you know, therapy Jeff on social media for almost two years. And not one time has a guy ever slipped into my DMs to be like, hey, you're in Portland. We should hang out. Like, yeah, <laughs> nobody has ever. There's been thousands of women that are mm-hmm. like sliding into my DMs. It's also maybe just and I'm not saying like sliding into my DMs to ask me out, but just sort of mm-hmm. like saying hello yeah. or giving me a suggestion or wanting to connect professionally. I don't know, whatever. It might have something to do with like 90% of the demographics. 90% of my followers are women. So I mm-hmm. think that's part of it. But there is something about guys like that's just sort of like not normal or socially acceptable, we think. It is though, because I I meet a lot of, as I said, I'll meet a lot of friends through Instagram and I was with a girl like last week and we were in the same industry and we were like, oh, this is like our little date. And we were making fun of guys would probably never do that because it would just feel awkward. The first like guy friend I made, his name is Brandon. We're still incredibly close friends, but we made friends. We became friends because I like met him at a bar one night and I randomly told him that I was like very into playing Mario Kart. And he's like, so am I. And I was like, let's fucking do it. And for like a lot for months, like that was what our relationship was based on playing video games, not looking at each other, but looking at the screen, mm-hmm. talking to each other through like kind of like the video game that we're playing together because that felt safe. That didn't feel as like emotionally awkward or vulnerable or raw or something. Keeping in mind that like I'm a therapist that's like really ooey gooey that like it's mm-hmm. not weird about like being really close, but yet still I wanted something in between us. I wanted a video game in between us. Or when we went out, I wanted us to like play shuffleboard or something. There was like always an activity mm-hmm. that we were doing. Now we can like sit down and talk for hours, but that's what felt like was important at the beginning. So there's always this like thing that you interact with. And a lot of times sports or video games is a way to kind of like bring these guys together. If you don't have it, it feels too intimate sometimes. I have a question about men in video games. Why do <laughs> men love video games so much? Are you not into video games? I didn't really... I grew up in Croatia. It wasn't really like a thing. I know that Americans are way more into video games. Mm. But I don't really know many women that are into video games. But mm-hmm. men, all of them are all ages. Like you can be the CEO of the biggest company and you're going to play a video game at night. It's just very yeah. fascinating. And before I always thought, oh my God, that's just, you know, for kids. But then I realized that it's, that's not the case. So I'm literally asking, why are guys so much into video games? Maybe it is <laughs> the social aspect of it. I think part of it is the social aspect. Also, you know, like I said, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. Video games were marketed towards me and my mm-hmm. guy friends. Like, 
they made them like really cool and these little fighting games or racing games or whatever it was like going to the arcade. That was just like, I was told that I was going to like that. And it just happened Mm -hmm. to be that I really enjoyed playing video games. So I grew up in the eighties hanging out with my friends playing video games together. And that felt like a really fun way to bond with somebody. And I still do that as an adult. That's just sort of like one of the primary ways I like bond with my friends, especially my boyfriends. It's a way to make it so that it doesn't feel like too close or vulnerable. It's also just fun. It's like a really Mm -hmm. good challenge to like be good at video games. It's one of the ways that we can be like really competitive with each other and have a good time doing it. There's also like you get like these dopamine hits when you're playing a video game where it's like you get to the next level or you score this Mm -hmm. many points. You're like, oh, I'm doing something good and I'm getting rewarded by feeling like I'm like growing and being a better video game player or something. If there's a girl listening to this and her boyfriend is just playing too many video games and maybe she said it once or twice but she feels like you know they're supposed to hang out and she comes over to his apartment or something and he's just playing video games what would you say to that girl you need to let your partner know that i want to connect with you i want to have fun with you i'm feeling rejected and neglected when you play video games or whatever it is i'm feeling like you're not interested in me i feel unloved I feel like you're more interested in the video game than you are in me. So like letting your boyfriend or whoever know about your emotional experience and then giving them the opportunity to do something about it, to connect with you, to put the video game down. Or, I mean, you can like ask if you can like, I want to play the video game with you. Can you Mm -hmm. like teach me how to be the second player? Can we play against each other? So you can join them in the video game fun. And also you're feeling like helpless and powerless about what to do. You want to encourage them to have fun and play all the video games because you can see that they're having a good time. But you also want your needs to be met in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So like, how can we find a compromise here? When somebody feels that their needs are not being met and they've voiced that issue many times, how can they decide if this is worth fighting for? Because nobody's perfect. We all have to work on ourselves. But when do you realize it's time to walk away? Like you said, you should voice your need and repeat it many times. I think a lot of people- How many is too many though? (laughs) I guess that's up to you, but it needs to be a lot. I think Mm -hmm. that like you should be asking for your needs to be met. If they're not being met, then you should be asking for them to be met every week. Not in like a naggy complaining, I'm going to make you feel bad about it sort of way, but in a, I'm going to remind you that I'm feeling like if this need isn't met, then I'm feeling whatever, disconnected or not important or unloved or not desired or whatever it is. So first, identify what your need is and feel okay asking for it. Ask for that need to be met and also offer to meet one of their needs And this is, can you meet my need? And what is your needs that need to be met? Like, I want to be able to like, so it feels like it's a balanced kind of like energetic exchange. We are both working on each other's needs. And then you got to try to figure out, like, like you said, like nobody's perfect. You're not ever going to find a perfect partner that's going to meet all of your needs. So you have to eventually settle for good enough. (laughs) You need Mm -hmm. to find a good enough partner. And I can't tell you what your good enough partner is. I wish I could. Uh, Mm -hmm. But that's a common question I'll get to. What is good enough? Or how many needs is good enough to be met? And so you have to make that decision for you, but for yourself. But like, does it feel like it's a net positive in the relationship? Are you mostly happy? If you're not getting a need met, are they making progress towards meeting that need? If they can never meet, if they so far haven't met that need, are you okay staying in this relationship, never getting that need met? And that's typically like a question that I'll ask my couples. 
Mm-hmm. When they come in and somebody's like, I'm not feeling desired enough and my partner never initiates and I've explained it to them over and over and they just like, it's been years now, three years now that they haven't ever initiated sex with me. I can't take this. Then we'll like work on it for as long as we possibly can. Eventually, if it doesn't change when they're going to couples counseling, as a therapist, I'm going to be like, okay, do you feel like you want to be in this relationship knowing that you're never going to get this need met because you're not going to? And it seems like very clear. And that's meant to like spark something in them to be like, oh, okay. Like if I'm never going to be getting this need met, do I want to stay in this relationship? It's also meant to make the partner that's not meeting the need to sort of like maybe feel a little guilty mm-hmm. <laughs> or like take accountability for like the impact that you're having on your partner. Your partner isn't feeling desired or sexy or attractive because you're not desiring them. You're not being active in like the sex life or whatever. How do you feel about that? Do you want to be that kind of partner? So it's this question that's just like, maybe you should break up or maybe mm-hmm. you should just stay together and accept that it's never going to happen. And that it's 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 almost like it's not a solvable problem anymore. It's a recurring pervasive problem that won't change and needs to be accepted if you want to stay in the relationship. I love that we opened up the topic of, you know, sexual issues in long-term relationships. I personally think that men and women, they have a completely different view on sex. Men kind of need it. And you can correct me if I'm wrong. They sure. need it, uh, you know, physically more than women. And like we like the the intimacy, the romance, the uh, the foreplay. We we want, you know, for women, sex starts way before than in the bedroom. Like if you if your partner made you mad ten times throughout the day, and he's like leaving the dirty dishes, leaving, you know, he's just maybe not respecting you throughout the day at at night, you're not gonna want to have sex with him, and he's not even gonna think about all the things that he did maybe throughout the day. And then women, sometimes they feel like their partner is not giving them enough attention like they did before. They're not buying them flowers. They're not taking them out. They're not nurturing that romance Mm -hmm. in the sexual part of their relationship. And guys are just kind of like, okay, you want to have sex? Like, you want to fuck? You know, (laughs) and for girls, it just doesn't work like that. I think that like some men in these situations don't realize or maybe forget that foreplay like starts when sex ends. So after sex is done, you need to keep on wooing your partner until the next sex happens. Like you're saying, you need to nurture the relationship, feel connected in the relationship, flirt. And, you know, like that needs to kind of like continue if you want to keep that connection going. I think that men can typically be like more visual You know, like physically they can just look at you and they're like, I'm attracted to you and I want to have sex with you. And that can be like a pretty quick turn on. Uh, I think that women, I mean, all genders too, but like uh, mostly women like want to feel a little bit more safe and connected and, and emotionally secure. And once there's that like feeling of safety there, then they can really kind of like let loose and trust the process or trust the guy that they're having sex with. And that like you maybe would naturally like woo your girlfriend or your partner at the beginning of a relationship because there's so much like it's the honeymoon or what a therapist will call the mutual positive projection phase where you're just like projecting all the positivity on your sweetie thinking all Mm -hmm. the like best things about them also like it's a new 
body that you're having sex with like how fun is that like the novelty (laughs) yeah (laughs) so there's just sort of like this natural thing that happens but a lot of times after the honeymoon period ends or starts to fade you go into like the next phase of the relationship which might feel a lot more secure and stable and Mm -hmm. safe but security and stability and safety might not be a turn-on for the guy or the woman or whoever, you know, like, so when like the safety and stability and security happen, which is typically what we're all aiming for, the like, the passion and excitement might fizzle a little bit. So that means that you have to work on creating more excitement in order to keep the sexiness alive. And sometimes it just doesn't happen naturally after a while. Mostly girls reach out to me and they say that sometimes, you know, they met a great guy, but he's a little boring. And I feel like Mm. that's actually that feeling of safety because we are conditioned growing up watching Disney movies, Hollywood, and love is so passionate and you need to fight for it and you need to, you know, run through the airport to stop them when they're trying to leave. Like that's what we were taught that that's what love is. And when you meet somebody and you are not in that fight or flight mode all the time, Mm -hmm. you think that, oh, this is boring. Mm -hmm. What would you say to that person? You're right. I think it's Disney and Hollywood and all the movies that we grew up watching, thinking that like love needs to be passionate and dramatic and a roller coaster. And I think that that's really tantalizing. Like I remember there's still a part of me that wants to experience that or just that. I want to be on that roller coaster ride. It feels Mm -hmm. a little, you feel kind of helpless and powerless and out of control, but it's so exciting. You don't know what's going to happen. And it's really hot and typically pretty sexy. And that chaos or that excitement might be more alluring than safety and security and stability. And if that's the case, if you want to mess around and fuck around and like be with the bad boy or the fuck boy or whoever it is, like, I love that for you. Have fun. Make that (laughs) deliberate choice if you want. But eventually you're probably going to start leaning into like wanting something a little bit more safe and secure. No shame if you don't ever like have fun forever if you want to. It sounds exhausting to me, Mm -hmm. but there is something about like the security and stability that doesn't feel like as sexy. So that's when you have to kind of like generate it. It's also the fault of these reality shows that we watch. Mm -hmm. Like the producers are deliberately creating situations where the adrenaline is pumping in everybody on the reality show. You're being filmed. Their dopamine hits are going crazy. You're like doing new adventures, whether you're traveling or cave diving or naked bungee jumping or love bombing each other from behind a wall on love is blind Mm -hmm. like whatever it is like it it creates these like false environments and then the people leave the reality show and they're like like hit in the face with how boring everything is and now you have to actually like be in the relationship there's there's also an addiction of just like a feeling addicted to like getting those dopamine hits which is Mm -hmm. in the honeymoon phase so we sort of like lily pad from one honeymoon phase to the next to the next to the next and (sighs) settling down feels kind of blah feels kind of (laughs) meh but like being in a relationship with somebody for a very long time feels so warm and so cozy and lovely and i encourage everyone to try it When somebody feels that their partner is not putting enough effort in the relationship any longer, like they were showering them with attention and presents and trips and everything. And then, you know, as they got into that boring stage, (laughs) what to do besides voicing your opinion? Because I'm sure, you know, girls like Mm -hmm. to sometimes complain in a way that makes the partner feel like, okay, this is what I learned when I was going through therapy. Like if you have an issue with something, you shouldn't start with 
you are doing this, you are the bad person, you are blah, blah, blah. You should just say how that makes you feel. So I feel, like we said in the very beginning, like I Mm -hmm. feel neglected when you do X, Y, Z. But how can they, you know, if they try, if they're married, they're with, you know, have kids, it's not just, they can't just walk away, but they feel they're not happy. It's hard not to pull away. It's hard not to disconnect. It's hard not, and this is sort of like, sometimes we're like, you start to connect with other people. Maybe you start to connect with your friends or your family, or you start to like be flirty with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is sometimes where like infidelity can come up because all of a sudden you're not like you feel more excited to hang out with somebody else instead of the partner that you're with. I wouldn't threaten your partner with like, hey, I'm going to cheat on you if you don't like take mm-hmm. me on vacation or anything like that. I think going ahead and trying to kind of like lead by example, like you're sort of saying or kind of alluding to, I think, where you're just like, okay, I'm feeling disconnected. So I'm going to start feeling more connected. I'm going to start doing things that mm-hmm. like create even more connection or sweetness or love, or I'm going to be the one that's like going to start to plan the adventures or the trips and stuff like that. Letting them know that like, this is your love language. This is how you want to feel loved. And this is how you want to feel cared for. And that you miss the times that you spent together while also acknowledging that like, it's hard to raise kids and <laughs> go to work and take care of the house and do all the stuff and like Mm -hmm. still feel a lot of passion. There's also the possibility that like you've gone through the honeymoon stage, you've things are starting to feel a little bit boring and you're actually not a good match. Maybe Mm -hmm. you should possibly end the relationship. Like maybe you're actually like now seeing who this person is and you're like, Oh, they play video games this much. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) this is ridiculous. And it seems like they're not willing to compromise at all. So I'm going to go find somebody who's not into video games at all. When you settle into a relationship, you have to settle for specific things. And this is when you have to try to figure out like what you're willing to settle for. I usually always say that you should never settle, but I mean it in a way like you have, you have those basic needs that you mm-hmm. have, they, they have to be met. Right. And obviously everybody's going to have something that they don't like about their partner, but I don't like to use the term settle because that feels that, you know, you're not really fulfilling everything you should fulfill. Yeah, I agree. I think there's like some really big basic needs that need to be written down and you need to stay true to. Mm -hmm. And then there's like the imperfections and flaws of like, they snore. Leaving the toilet seat and stuff like that. Yeah, Yeah, stuff Mm -hmm. like that, which is like very annoying. But mm-hmm. you're going to like settle, I guess. Maybe that's not the best word for it, but you're going to yeah. accept those imperfections. Yeah. Because everybody's going to have, let's say if your partner right now is like leaving dirty socks on the floor, your other partner is going to be, I don't know, leaving the toilet seat up. So exactly. Everybody has something like that. Everybody is um, so fucking annoying. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned infidelity. Mm-hmm. If you can sum up, why do people cheat? I think, first of all, there has to be an opportunity. Which maybe seems obvious, but it sometimes there was like a while there where I was doing lots of couples counseling with people that were cheating or experiencing infidelity. And it seemed like the main <laughs> like a reason that people were actually doing it is because they were just presented with the opportunity. It almost like I, that's not an excuse. I'm not like trying to like say mm-hmm. that like we're human beings that are just going to have sex with somebody when presented the opportunity. We're more evolved than that. Obviously, mm-hmm. we can make good, better decisions. But it seems like, first of all, there needs to be an opportunity. It's not, in my experience, it's not as common for somebody to be like, I feel like doing a cheat. I'm going to go make that happen. <laughs> right? It's usually just like, oh, like doing, whoa. Yeah. yeah. Like, what's yeah. happening here? Yeah. A lot of times in my work, what happens is that like, you don't feel 
seen anymore. You don't feel alive or as alive as you did feel at the beginning of the relationship. And now you're experiencing a relationship or a friendship outside of your romantic relationship where all of a sudden you're lighting up. Mm-hmm. You're like, all of a sudden you're just like, this is who I really am. I feel really seen because this new person thinks I'm funny or thinks I'm smart or is really caring or understanding. And my partner doesn't think I'm funny, and I, but I really am. And I can mm-hmm. really see myself there. Um, so a lot of times it's like I my true self comes out with this other person and I start to fall in love with them. I would say that like it's very likely that like your partner does value how funny or smart or sweet or caring you are, but you haven't given them another chance to do that. So bring that back to the relationship. So often those couples will come into my office and they'll be like, well, I was, you know, like you didn't see me like this other person saw me and their partner will be like, Mm -hmm. I can fucking see you like that. Like, of course Mm -hmm. I see you like you never gave me the opportunity to see Mm -hmm. you like that or you didn't behave like that with me or something. Mm -hmm. There's also like some kind of, you know, cowardly or scared people that maybe like want to end the relationship. And this is one of the ways that they do end the relationship. And they're going to leave their phone open and be like, oh, yo, you can go through my phone, read what I'm doing so you can dump me. Exactly. There's also people, I've only seen this in men, although I'm sure this can happen with women. Men think that they deserve all of everything. So like if someone, if a woman is coming on to them, even if they're married and in a committed monogamous relationship, they're just like, I deserve this. I deserve this because I only live once or because I should just, I can get away with it. Like they're sort of, it's it's a narcissistic type of quality. They might maybe, I'm not saying that they can be diagnosed with like narcissism, but Mm -hmm. there's all like a little bit of narcissism within all of us probably. And it kind of like comes up sometimes in these men that are just like, this is what I deserve. So they actually don't know how to commit for real. And they maybe also haven't grieved their youth or, or a lot of times it's like when you say yes to one person, you're saying no to everybody else and you haven't fucking accepted that mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you think that you can get away with it or something like that. When you say yes to somebody and you sit and you say no to everybody else, there is a lot of loss. That sucks. You're not going to go have sex with other people. You're not going to have new relationships with other people. You're not going to experience a honeymoon period with other people. That is a mm-hmm. real loss that you have to acknowledge and process and let go. And a lot of times we don't let go of that. And that's why we end up cheating. You know what I find fascinating? I mentioned that I have this woke who do people ask me questions and I get girls asking me, I'm talking to this guy and I know he's in a relationship and I don't know what to do. Should I tell her? Mm. My initial reaction is, why are you talking to him? Mm. If you Mm. are aware that he's in a relationship, so you're right away saying that he's a liar and a potential cheater. So you already know that he's that type of person. Again, I'm sure there's situations when somebody, you know, maybe they're unhappy in their relationship and blah, 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 blah. But what I I think, and I'm very curious what you have to say, I think that if you're starting a relationship where other people are getting hurt in the process, it's very difficult to have a healthy relationship going forward. It is. Yeah. It's just a, it's a real red flag. And like you're saying, like if they're, if they're willing to do that to their current partner, they're probably willing to do that to you in the long run. And you're eventually, once the honeymoon fades, you're going to start to worry about that. You're going to mm-hmm. get obsessed with like who's sliding into their DMs, most likely. 
right? Like you're going to be like, oh no, shit. Like you're going to start to like put the pieces, the puzzle pieces together. I get where it comes from, like things that are off limits or maybe they're in a relationship. Like that's kind of hot and sexy. Cheating is very hot. I don't recommend it. I don't think you should do it. Uh, it like it's very devastating to a it's relationship. Dangerous. It's dangerous. It's not. A, there's so many reasons to not do it. But oh my god, it's so fucking sexy. If you've ever cheated, uh, sometimes it's horrible and it feels really bad. I think that like if you're a cheater and you know you're going to cheat, you should date somebody else who is also a cheater and you can just cheat on each other all the time. Like all the cheaters should get together and just hurt each other. Should we so start a group? Yes. Like no shame. If you're a cheater, admit this and I will set you up with a fellow cheater and then just fucking break each other's hearts all the time. It doesn't matter. We need to get you off the streets so that you're not hurting the good people is what I think. But I oh agree with God. you. Yeah. Starting off a relationship with someone who's already in a relationship, not a good move. For my own selfish reasons, I have a question. How do you manage to post so much on your socials? Like, I'm so impressed. <laughs> this has turned into the thing that I do the most. So mm -hmm. now this is like mostly my full-time job. So when I get up in the morning, I don't even get out of bed until I've like written two or three new scripts mm -hmm. for videos. And then once I get out of bed and shower and eat breakfast, it's like the first thing I do. So the first half of my day, the first three to four hours is just content. And then mm -hmm. the whole rest of the day is whatever the hell I want to do with it. It's a really big, like, creative challenge. I love, I have probably an unhealthy relationship with all the validation that I get from, like, the comments and the likes and everything like that. I'm owning it. I don't care. I don't feel like addressing it right <laughs> now. It's working for me. But it's just, like, I've, like, decided that this is the thing that I'm going to do right now in my life. And when I commit to something, I fucking commit to it until I get totally burnt out on it and I do something else. Do you remember the first video that blew up? Well, I started TikTok in the middle of the pandemic and the my intention was to be funny. Uh, and I was just like, I'm gonna create like funny therapy skits. And the first three videos on TikTok are me doing funny therapy skits that turns out is not very funny. Uh, <laughs> nobody thought it was <laughs> super funny. So then after three videos, I was like, okay, I'll lean into something that's like not as funny. And I think it was five questions that you should ask your therapist right now. And one mm -hmm. of those questions was like, they most likely have diagnosed you. You should ask them what your diagnosis is. And diagnoses, like what is my diagnosis was like trending on TikTok during the pandemic. And that just like, that got like 150,000 views in a few hours. And then it was from there that, like, my account just took off. So it mm -hmm. took four videos to go viral. And then there was, like, many, many, many viral videos after that. And, and you post every day or no? I post every day. I try to post twice a day. Wow. Well, on that note, I... I'm thanking you for being a part of Bougie Best Friend Podcast. And I'm absolutely inviting every single person to check out your socials because it's literally like going to a therapy session. You learn Thanks. so much if you're open yeah. to learn and if you're open to, you know, realize that sometimes you might be doing something wrong. So thank you again for being here. And please share where can everybody find you? Uh, everyone can find me on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube under Therapy Jeff. Or you can just go to therapyjeff.com, Google Therapy Jeff. You'll find me there. Amazing. Well, thank you, Therapy Jeff. And uh, <laughs> I'll see everybody next week. Bye-bye. Okay,